Coming up today on the Courier Daily, how one e-commerce platform is faring the crisis. I think at the end of the day, you just have to, um, as a brand, you have to nail your supply chain. You have to make sure that if you control your supply chain, you're master of your own destiny as well. And that's the only way where you can tell um, an authentic story to the front-end consumer about the products you make. And a bit later on, how one company that makes backyard shepherd's huts is surfing the working-from-home wave. And on March the 20th, the events industry was cancelled, basically. Weddings were cancelled. Campsites and leisure sites were asked to close. We had the news that basically all our projects were postponed. I'm Daniel Giacopelli. It's the 4th of May, and this is The Courier Daily. We're checking in every day with small business owners all over the world to hear how they're coping, adapting, and pivoting during the pandemic. Today, we begin with Managritti. He's the co-founder of Bombinate, which is an e-commerce platform for menswear, accessories, and furniture. Mana and his co-founder, Elliot, sell products from hundreds of craft brands from all over Europe, from Portugal and France to Denmark. The products on offer are usually made by craftspeople in workshops or small factories. Basically, they're really susceptible to being hit by catastrophic global crises, like the one we're all facing. Well, I'm on the line now with Mana from Switzerland, and uh, I want to know, first of all, Mana, how business generally is doing for you guys in this crazy time. I won't lie, there was definitely um, a hit in March when um, all of the bandits started to sip in. The team uh, was hit first, obviously, with, uh, with having to work at home. Our community holed up um, really well. The brands obviously suffered a lot. Overall, um, good. March was uh, below target. But in April, we, uh, we had our best month ever, actually. So really happy about that. And um, the whole team is excited about what this means as well for the future. April was your best month ever. That's incredible. So <laughs> why is that? Because, you know, fashion has taken a hit globally, right? Most people don't need 700-pound alpaca sweaters. I'm not saying that's what you sell, but I'm saying in general, you know, high-end fashion's been hit. People aren't going out and about. And you guys sell, obviously, a bit of fashion, a bit of homeware, some accessories. But why are people buying so much right now from you? A lot of money isn't being spent at the moment. So there's a lot of, uh, you know, salaries that aren't being spent uh, going out to restaurants, going out to but also, I think, you know, there was a big movement um, supporting um, local brands, a big movement towards uh, supporting the independence. And I think, you know, for us as a champion of those brands, we saw a lot of traffic coming um, to Bombinate and uh, amazing support going to brands uh, from specific countries, brands uh, really focusing on sustainability or on certain savoir-faires or uh, skill sets. And so I think, you know, for us, that's definitely been one of the factors. But then also more on the, on the marketing side, there's been a big job in marketing spend from a lot of companies out there. Acquisition costs have gone down, which has allowed us to actually double down on marketing and make sure that we're, you know, pushing those brands out there, making sure that these brands in a time where wholesalers are canceling all their wholesale orders, that we can actually um, replace that and make sure that these brands are, are selling um, in those times. So we were the first surprised to see this, but actually we're super stoked uh, to have this um, happening uh, to us right now. What kind of products are people buying? Are they buying lovely jumpers to wear at home? Are they buying desks? Are they buying wallets? What are they buying? At first in March, we saw a big dip um, in uh, menswear. So nobody was buying you know, your usual sneakers, um, ready-to-wear sunglasses. Everybody was canceling uh, weddings. Everybody was canceling holidays. So we saw a big dip in menswear, but a big rise in uh, homeware. 
So obviously with everybody at home, we saw massive sales of furniture, of uh, bed linens, of kitchenware. So obviously one has compensated for the other. But now actually we're seeing um, a comeback to normal, to the norm where actually menswear is picking back up. We see the light at the end of the tunnel. Some countries in Europe are, uh, you know, ending the quarantine or are actually putting a plan to go out of the quarantine. So actually I think, you know, our community is buying into, you know, swimwear again, linen shirts, sunglasses, because obviously there is hope and we want to make sure that when we can go back out there, we want to make sure that we have, you know, something new to wear or that we've bought into, again, one of those uh, local brands. Yeah, I mean, Spain, for the first time, I think it's literally a day ago, have eased up their lockdown measures. So now Spaniards can exercise full stop. I mean, you know, they've been in lockdown for seven weeks. So I imagine a lot of them are going to run out and maybe buy some sunglasses, maybe buy some linen shirts. I don't know. I was speaking on the phone to one of the brand founders uh, that does um, amazing, amazing uh, bathing suits. And she was saying, instead of getting your usual user-generated content from your customers at the beach, she was only getting pics of people wearing uh, her swim shorts on balconies, which is actually uh, quite funny. So you're still seeing, you know, brands supporting loyal communities, supporting their brands. You know, all our brands are really excited to see uh, Europe coming back to normal, basically. So, you know, Bombinate works with hundreds of brands all over Europe, everywhere from Italy to Germany to Portugal. Most of those are from small workshops, small factories, maybe they're family run. How have those guys been hit? Because I know for so many factories, you know, if one person is sick in the family, you know, they all have to be quarantined or one person has to look after their kid who's off from school because the schools are closed and it impacts the entire production and the entire company. Have you been talking to your brands and brand owners every day, finding out how it's impacted them? You know, Bombinate operates and is only viable if our brands um, can ship to customers. And they've been, you know, the first hit in this crisis. I wouldn't say so much with supply chains, but more with, uh, with cash flow issues in terms of, uh, of their wholesalers. So a lot of our brands, while they're DTC, so direct to consumer, a lot of them rely heavily on wholesalers as well. And obviously a lot of those wholesalers were canceling order after order that they had promised. And so basically our brands were left with twice or three times or four times as much stock as they were planning um, to have. And they were faced with basically the, um, the situation where how are we going to sell that stock? So we've been on the phone with them and I have to say it was you know, really hard at the beginning of the crisis to hear um, their voices because, you know, it was really an existential crisis uh, for some of them. A lot of them didn't know whether they'd make it out of this quarter or of the season. Obviously, as we've been uh, monitoring the situation with them, again, you know, like I said, you know, there's light at the end of the tunnel. There's increased sales on Bombinate for them. They're shifting uh, their marketing spend uh, to DTC. You know, there's a bit of innovation going on. They have to adapt. Overall, I think it's still too early to say which brands will make it or not of the crisis. So when you're a brand and you're sitting on just tons of unsold stock, stock that wholesalers don't want, that you can't shift, what are your options? Do you, A, do you try to discount the prices on their own website? I mean, if they have their own e-commerce website, do they slash it by, you know, a 50% off sale? Do they kind of reuse the fabric for something else or try to shift the the cotton i mean yeah exactly first reflex from a lot of these brands was to discount obviously this can hurt the brand image a lot of brands are no have never discounted before so this was an enormous shock to them but at the same time a lot of them don't want to sit on unsold stock and uh, a lot of them were born out of uh, you know purposes that 
per true to our sustainability, to the less is more. And for them, it's very counterintuitive to sit on a lot of unsold stock. So we've been uh, working with them in the last uh, couple of weeks to really plan again um, the sales on Bombinate and make sure that we account for that uh, extra stock. But it's definitely a big shock uh, for all these brands, yeah. And now for Bombinate, do you guys actually sit on stock? No, we don't. We're a um, pure play marketplace, which means we're uh, inventory free. We don't touch any stock. We're a platform. We enable the connection between supply and demand. So we make sure that every time somebody orders via Bombinate, the orders goes from the brand to the customer directly without passing by Bombinate. This allows us to you know, not have any inventory and focus on distribution, on storytelling, on like, actually championing these brands instead of being bound by uh, selling certain amounts of stock, which would make the relationship less equal. So your overheads must be rather low then. I wouldn't say low, but overheads <laughs> are employees, so fixed costs and a marketing at the end of the day, and then the maintenance of the, of the platform. But we don't invest in uh, upfront uh, inventory. And have you guys been doing well? I mean, you said you had the best April ever, so you must be doing okay. We're doing well. I think it's a reaction uh, from what happened in March. Hopefully the movement towards online continues the movement towards supporting local independent brand continues. We're seeing a big movement uh, that's accelerating towards you know, brands that are sustainable, brands that are clear values, brands that have a clear purpose. And again, you know, as a destination that curates brands that fit those criteria, we're really in a good position to actually be there um, for the European customers that are looking for that. Yeah, in the last edition of the Curry Weekly a couple of days ago, we had a big piece on sustainable fashion and you know a lot of the fast fashion guys who might have been moving towards sustainable in the past now certainly won't be doing that because you know it costs more money to do that and they've been hammered by the crisis so whereas i suppose some small brands are producing sustainably and customers might want this now because it connects them with brands that they want to support on the other hand big brands might not be going in that direction anymore it's insane to have seen you know some of those big uh, high street retailers having to cancel enormous wholesale orders um, to their factories um, in Bangladesh. And we've seen, you know, the, the impact this has had. So we were speaking to some friends and there was a, are these retailers too big to be in the sense where if they cannot fulfill one of those wholesale orders, the impact to a third world country such as Bangladesh is enormous. But uh, back to sustainability, I think new brands today will have to really think hard about the, why they exist and the reason to be uh, in the world because consumers on the other end, will be thinking very hard about why they're purchasing a piece of clothing, a piece of furniture, and they'll want to have complete transparency on the supply chain and have a good understanding of the values of that brand. So it's an acceleration of what was already happening. But again, I think we've gained two years towards uh, that end goal. Yeah, I mean, that makes complete sense. I mean, actually, it's what I've been hearing from other people as well. It's the crisis has accelerated trends that were already happening. But it also makes a lot of sense what you just said about the storytelling aspect. Storytelling will be much more important than ever before. You want to know, you know, where your natural wine came from, where your sustainable jumper came from, and that it was made by someone who was paid a fair wage and was doing, you know, good for the planet. Exactly. And I think, you know, it's, these brands need help to achieve that. It's not easy when you have to think, like we've said before, about your supply chain, about your um, Shopify website, about your, uh, your platform relationship. So... To do that well, there's going to be a lot of work uh, that goes into it, but I think we're going to see less of those in-between brands that haven't really nailed their storytelling. 
About e-commerce, I mean, you just mentioned Shopify. So are there any hacks, tips, tweaks for e-commerce in this crazy age that could help other platforms out there that you might have you know, picked up on recently? I don't think, you know, the technology is accelerating. The shift that this crisis is uh, impacting on the movement towards online retail is just insane. So you'll have a lot of new um, services coming out of this that will be geared towards helping brands move their operations um, online if they weren't already. In terms of little tips and tricks, I think at the end of the day, you just have to, um, as a brand, you have to nail your supply chain. You have to make sure that if you control your supply chain, you're master of your own destiny as well. And that's the only way where you can tell um, an authentic story to the front-end consumer about the products you make. How do you drive people to basically buy more from your website? I mean, I know obviously the storytelling helps and you've launched a campaign on your site too. you know, support your local brands where you kind of organize the products around specific countries and telling the stories behind the makers. That surely must help. But what about, you know, Instagram or Facebook ads? Have you been spending more on that in any sense? So, you know, we've been um, closely monitoring our, um, so what we call the ROAS, the return on ad spend, and making sure that whatever spend we're going to put out there in a time of crisis is um, extremely efficient and has a good ROI, so return on investment uh, for us. Because again, you know, this stems from, as a startup, as a company that's scaling, we're dependent on um, fundraising to move towards uh, break-even and profitability. And the fundraising environment has crunched a lot. It won't be as easy uh, as before to fundraise. And so there's a lot of talk about, you know, how do we extend a runway of, uh, of startups and actually making this a, a vital element of today's uh, marketing spend, right? So uh, for us, you know, more than a, than a tech hack, it's about really the, making sure that we're really close to our numbers and that our numbers make sense when we go out to market to our customers and that we're not burning uh, money uh, inefficiently. But have you started spending money differently or spending more money on marketing? Or have you just let it kind of sell as it was? We've opened the taps on those channels that were more profitable for us. So we've, lo- we've seen that, uh, for example, uh, Instagram has been uh, performing really well because of the decrease in um, cost of acquisition there. But again, we've been mindful of, um, of for example, our affiliation uh, channel and uh, looking at how that performs. So again, it's about you know, pulling the right levers on the different channels. Has your long-term strategy for Bombinate changed at all? Did you have an end goal on the horizon and now it's maybe a different end goal? No, actually, it's been the conviction that Elliot, my co-founder, and I have had since we started Bombinate has only been you know, solidified by this crisis. It shows that you know, online retail is here to stay and will become the norm. It shows that uh, you know, brands that have the right values and produce in the right way, again, will become the norm, are the ones that will um, triumph in the future. The business model that we've started with, the marketplace model, has survived the crisis. There hasn't been any risk associated with the marketplace. So that shows as well that you know, we're a post-COVID business model as well. So for us, it's just about you know, this acceleration gives us confidence in our mission and in our vision uh, for bombing it. Now, again, we just have to make sure that we can tell that story to investors in the right way, that uh, the brands are happy on the platform, which they are, that the brands survive, that the brands sell more. And I think, you know, Bombinate can and will be uh, one of the companies that maybe represents retail um, in the post-COVID world. Yeah, because I guess the Achilles heel of your whole model is that if all of these small brands go down, then obviously the companies <laughs> might not last. It's within your interest to kind of help these brands as much as possible, I guess, survive this terrible time. 
Again, you know, the whole relationship is based on the on a win-win model. So every time they sell, we take a commission out of that sale. So, you know, for them to exist, uh, we have to exist as well. So obviously it's really our main goal and it's been since they want to push these brands uh, to audiences that have essentially been looking for them. Are there any other lessons you've learned that other entrepreneurs would be able to take advantage of? On a, on a more um, high level um, perspective, we, we were told by investors, by advisors to, you know, to cut burn, to cut uh, hiring. And actually, we did the contrary and, and doubled down on, um, on a lot of those things because we were seeing, you know, the, um, an increase in demand. And so I think, you know, the advice here is, you know, you're the only one that knows your business in and out and more than uh, any, uh, anyone else. So we did the right thing in not listening to that advice. But I think, you know, you have to trust your gut feeling. You've been building this since the very beginning. So you're the one that knows. Next up, Craig Neild is the founder of the English Shepherds Hut Company which supplies high-end backyard huts for events, like weddings. But, of course, with weddings pretty much universally cancelled or postponed, Craig decided to pivot to target the working-from-home market. And business has been pretty great. Well, I caught up with him just a bit earlier to find out. My passion and skill is is design and build of quirky one-off buildings. So we started Timberpad Garden Offices Limited, and that was going well, and we designed for the, the great and the good, various garden offices and then my wife persuaded me to build a shepherd's hut and what is a shepherd's hut by the way for those who don't know i'm from new york i don't think we have shepherd's huts okay yeah that's a good point so i always make the assumption that people don't know a shepherd's hut is basically traditionally a hut that a shepherd would use to move around from meadow to meadow to look after a sheep in simple terms it's a very iconic english structure design with a curved roof on wheels usually towed by a horse our shepherd's huts are now everything from simple huts like that, although we build very few of them. In fact, we've never sold to a shepherd. Well, ours are now everything from a simple office in the garden to a retreat to very smart. I'm sitting in one now, a shepherd's lodge, which is fully en suite, complete living unit, underfloor heating, stoves, everything. It's, it's, got, it's got everything. Shepherd's huts have moved on a bit. My wife persuaded me, said, why don't you, Craig, why don't you build a shepherd's hut? We build one. We put it in the back garden and, and it snowed that night. And uh, we got a, one of our most iconic photographs. And the way this started, Daniel, was we took a picture of it, put it on our website. Elizabeth Hurley's sister saw it. Elizabeth Hurley bought it. And we thought, oh, we're onto something here. I would say 95% of our business since then is building shepherd's huts for the great and the good in the UK and uh, into um, abroad as well. What kind of people made up your customer base pre-pandemic before you decided to shift from weddings to working from home? Pre-pandemic, our market evolved in response to the growth in the glamping industry, the staycation market. And we basically then started to principally to supply the hospitality industry, leisure industry, wedding industry, events, festivals, that sort of thing where they were looking for something rather nice and quirky in terms of accommodation. We also diversified into posh showers and loos, and basically had a whole range, which we still do, of bedrooms, bathrooms, and bars. In fact, we got a workshop full of half-built bedrooms and bathrooms and bars. But of course, all these were directed towards the events industry. And on March the 20th, the events industry was cancelled, basically. Weddings were cancelled. Campsites and leisure sites were asked to close. Even the big guys like Centre Parks, everybody's closed. So our order book on the 20th of March, I remember that time very well. It was five past 11 on the 20th of March. 
we had the news that basically all our projects were postponed. Know that I put all our eggs in one basket because that basket was very lucrative at that point and it was, a, it was folly not to. But obviously, retrospectively, I'm thinking uh, we committed to a whole industry that who knew that it was going to close just like that. So working from home, that was a very quick, that was, I think, one night slight anxiety of lack of sleep. But about three o'clock in the morning, there was the light bulb moment. OK, now I'm working from home. A lot of my people are working from home. Everybody I'm speaking to is working from home. We've now put a whole range of new designs together to help people work from home. And that could be a very simple working from home hut right through to an executive office at home, covering sort of everything from a, a £10,000 project to a, a sixty, £70,000 project. So you've changed your messaging, basically, but the product is the same. You're just skinning it with a different marketing angle. Virtually the same. The way the shape of a shepherd's hut works, for example, works well to create quite a, a spacious and lofty space in a small space. So you don't feel cramped and hemmed in. So yeah, it's, it's this still iconic shape. There's no need for wheels. There's no need for a drawbar or anything like that. But it's still an iconic uh, shape, which suits a nice space to work in. And that's everything from about eight feet square to 28 feet by 12 feet. And what kind of people are actually buying these? Are they super wealthy executives? Or are they just people who can't stand being cooped up in their house anymore? That's the question. By the next day, lunchtime, I had to ask myself, so who are we targeting? Who is going to buy these? So, so we're looking at individuals, but we're also looking at talking to the major corporations, like the big insurance companies, for example, and to say, look, you could provide these for your employees. The employee doesn't have to buy it themselves. It could be a deal that you have with them. So order 20 of these huts to be delivered to gardens. You know, the new normal could be three or four days a week, a week working from home execs maybe just have to go in for their board meeting on a Friday. It's all very doable and all very comfortable. Well, that's it for today. If you liked the episode, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review it on Apple Podcasts. And as ever, sign up to our weekly email newsletter, The Courier Weekly, for more stories of pivoting, adapting, and growing. Just head to couriermedia.co slash sign up. I'm Daniel Giacopelli. The Courier Daily is back again on Tuesday. 